This week on Kettle of Fish, comedian and writer Emily Winter stops by to talk about Midwest queries and quintessential comedy. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. All righty, guys. Welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 30-minute comedy money shot after the one hour of political foreplay. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the internet airwaves, Nick the Saucy One Cat Soros, broadcasting to you live, as always, from the very top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my Midwestern Huser from Indiana, the corn to my candy, Pop and Cobb, the flaming car wreck to my Indy 500, the sugar plum to my town of Santa Claus, D, who does things prizer. Oh, that is so... Cute. That's right. I will always be a Hoosier. Always. I was born a Hoosier. Yes, we're talking Midwestern values today, I so I thought that was an appropriate segue yeah, to that. Yeah, except I I don't know. There, There's more than corn in Indiana, but not a whole lot. So that's just, that's all there is. Well, I mean, it. you could do like Bubba Gumpin and be like, I like kind of corn. I like um, popcorn. Dude, I like corn I'm on sure, the cob. I'm sure people have. I mean, well, no, that's part of part of king corn whole, is in everything well and part of the whole shtick of indiana beach which was where i used to go as a kid every year was there's more than corn in indiana it's indiana beach and i'm like what, oh God. what else that's is as there? lame as um <laughs> i remember when i moved to mckeesport which was a pretty hardcore ghetto uh-huh. from waldorf maryland which was a pretty nice upper middle class neighborhood and um the big I guess mantra motto in the yearbook when you opened it up and you see like the panoramic of all the kids on the bleachers was wild yet in control. <laughs> and my McKeesport friends used to give me so much shit of how fucking well lame. And you have all these like preppy kids and turtlenecks that are like, I'm wild yet I'm in control. <laughs> and oh, wild for them was like they went and got seconds of like root beer at the local Burger King. Ooh, I had mustard with my tater tots. I'm so wild. <laughs> I'm a rebel. All right, let's get Fern in here. And a girl who moved all the way down to Virginia Beach from the Pine Tree State and still can't escape being snowed in. A Virginia Beach lover, <laughs> drinker, and fighter. Fern, the moist-voiced heart. That's <laughs> so true. It's hot. It's cold. It's nice. It sucks. Like, I'm from the land of potatoes and lobster and blueberries, I will say. Potatoes, lobster, blueberries, and, um, yeah, booze. We like our booze up there, too. But snow, my God, the snow. We got eight inches. It lasted for a while. We make You're it surrounded by snowflakes. <laughs> I am so happy. I have never been so happy to be surrounded by snowflakes. But those little uh, extremists on the right tend to be the bigger snowflakes, but... But that's yes. just, you know, a that's wonder, a whole different conversation. It's a wonderland we're living through right now. We are yes. through the looking glass. All right. Um, and speaking of cold, man, I actually had to go put my robe on. We can't run uh, heat while we're doing the show because the furnace is right downstairs next to Dee's little hobbit hole where she has made a makeshift studio out of our downstairs kitchen. So now it's getting pretty cold in here, right, Dee? Yeah, that's why, that's why I have like robes and blankets and it's all good. It's just but I ran for my bathrobe, so I guess I can interview for my bathrobe That's as well. Right. That works. All right, Dee, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up um, in and off of the network? Yes. Okay, so on the network, and by the way, if you miss any little thing, you can always go to www.tincan.media and then hit enter. That's it. That's all super simple. We like it that way. So tincanmedia.com. Um, no. Uh, no. Go to your address bar, type in www.tincan.media and push the enter key and poof, you're there. And you will see the tin can and you will see D does things, which is me. And I do things and I tell you about them and they're really fun. Uh, And I am actually giving away some jewelry and some Mary Kay swag this month. So definitely go check it out. Um, So on Musical Osmosis this month on the 24th, we are going to have rap group Apollo's Son is going to join us. And I've heard them and I like them and they're good. That, that If I like them, they're good. That's that's the litmus test. Um, and then for our 50th episode, we're going to have uh, Derek Baker from Drongos for Europe on the 7th of February. 
Then on February 11th, we're going to come back with The Funny Thing About Politics with author of Meet the Deplorables, Mr. Harmon Leon. And all of those things are going to be awesome and wonderful. And also keep an eye, a close, close eye on our Facebook and uh, on TinCan.media and every place else you usually see us because we will be releasing our Kickstarter this week for Edward about the little tree afraid of the dark who meets a friend and isn't afraid of the dark anymore. Yes, I wrote a children's book that actually won't corrupt your youth. No, it's beautiful and everybody needs to read it and our Kickstarter will include lots of great swag that you can get uh, including, but not limited to, I will read the book uh, in audio form and you can get that as well and it's going to be really cool and you make the book even twice as special oh don't That's forget so guys I'm going to be on uh, Meryl Hathaway's podcast The Lemon yes. Grove this Wednesday this so Wednesday. once that's up we will put it on the Tin Can Facebook page yes so and that will be super awesome Meryl of course um, known well most recently for her role on The Good Place with Kristen Bell, who I'm a little bit obsessed about lately. Indeed. I hear some laughing in the background. Yeah. Let's get our guest in here. Who do we have on today? Today, we have the person who possibly single-handedly has ruined uh, the game of Guess Who for me forever. <laughs> for good reason. Um, super, super funny. I, I love this. Um Yes, the person who helped create the first comedy fest I would love to see happen every year, which is what a joke, benefiting the UCLA or you no, not the UCLA. ACLU, um, baby. Yeah, the ACLU and making fun of Trump, I'm sure every single day of it. Uh, the, the hilarious Emily Winter. Hi Emily. Emily, hi, hi. what is up? How you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm good. I'm good. I'm sorry if there's laughing in the background. I'm trying. I don't have anywhere I can go. I'm in my friend's place in San Francisco in Oakland, and um, nice. there's a room full of female stand-up comedians having brunch, and I <laughs> and it's wonderful. But they're in the next room. <laughs> hey, we're just so, honored we pulled you away from that. That's probably yeah, gonna be way no, more interesting than spending time with us. <laughs> Jeez, no, this is great. All right, let's start off with this, because I've been following you for quite a while on social media, and you seem to be someone who is very politically outspoken, a very aware person of what's going on. Um, you know, we're going to talk about your What a Joke Festival here in a moment, but I was watching some of your stand-up through the years, and I noticed that mm -hmm. you are not a political comedian per se, not like a Bill Maher, Stephen Colbert. Um, uh -huh. You don't have a whole lot of political material, at least of what I watched online, is it, are you kind of like purposely holding back on just talking straight politics a lot out of fear of alienating people? Or is this just your personality and you don't want to just be tagged as a political comedian? Like, how are you making those kind of decisions? Oh, wow. You you uh, overestimate me. I'm not so strategic. Um, uh -huh. I think with politics... When you're talking about politics on stage, I mean, your your jokes are really only going to have a very, very short shelf life. So um, as I prepared for What a Joke Festival last year, I, um, you know, I was thinking about politics a lot and I, and I was working on a little bit of political material. But if you're constantly working on political material, you're constantly updating your act like every day. So... Um, for Especially me, I, now, know, where the madness never stopped. It's like the mad exactly. tea party um, in Alice in Wonderland. Like, switch chairs every 10 seconds. Exactly. And so, I mean, I love to, you know, I, I keep up with the news, and I've had different jobs and opportunities writing for, you know, I wrote for a fusion news show um, that was like news comedy. But And I love doing those jokes, but it's not really realistic for what I'm doing um, on a daily basis. You know, I want to work on a, like a, a six minute bit that I can use for a year, you know? So um, when you're talking about the daily news, it's just not really feasible. So, I mean, I do think that I, I definitely find a way to alienate people without bringing up Trump. Uh, <laughs> just, I think my, my liberal beliefs come through in other ways when I'm talking about gender and, getting harassed yeah, in the workplace and, you know, so, um, stuff like that. But, but yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not opposed to it, of course. And if I have a joke or a riff, I'll just do it at shows, but, um, uh, I'm not working on that 
10 minutes on what Trump did last week that is will be totally irrelevant in two weeks, you know? Yeah, and that's the hard thing. Even for me and I'm Fern, and Fern, you can attest to this. We do a political show, and we used to start getting ready for the ignorance equation. The three years we did that, a week, sometimes two weeks in advance. And now it's like, dude, I'll just send you shit Friday for Sunday. Because, I mean, every, yeah. like we could put a whole show together on on Tuesday, Fern, and by Friday it's irrelevant. Trump completely, is something yeah. else fucking insane. Absolutely and completely. And that that is just the hardest thing to keep up with. Like, if I just need a break, I'm just like, I'm burnout. So what I'm going to do is focus on some things I need to do at home. I turn on the news two days later, and the world's, like, it was already upside down, but it's flipped back upside down and then back again. It's like, yeah. what in the hell? You know, but I do get, you know, choosing your battles. And, you know, I, I try to find a balance with politics and personal, and that's, and what I project, it's it's really difficult because some things really piss me off. I just got into a fight with an internet troll. Um, it was mm-hmm. right after this shithole comment, and then this guy came on, and he was completely racist, sexist, derogatory, and I just went at him. And I don't think, Nick, you've ever seen me go at anyone like this, but I hit my limit, and I had to go, but I try not to do that. But it's hard not to because the, the cycle is so And what did that right asshole now. learn from that experience? That he wants to go get coffee with you, and you had a great time together. But he did learn how I liked my coffee, which was brewed in his tears and teabagged with his balls. So he did at least learn that. Yeah, but he I'm not going to rehash this because we talked about this a lot um, right. on a political show earlier. But he just saw it as, hey, we're just kind of doing Mad Libs here. We're just playing a video game. This doesn't mean anything. Where he's right. saying, you know, you're an end lover. Get on your knees, whore, where you belong. And yep. you're outraged by it. He's like, I'm just saying funny words. Yeah, yeah. They don't, they totally take the personal. I mean, trolls just don't care. Like, they don't think about people on the other end at all. And, you know. Um, yeah, and that's why it's so it's hard to combat it, right? Yes, yeah, I know, and I, I do it too. I lose myself every once in a while, and I get into a, a fight with a troll, and then I'm like, this is a fight that I can't win because I'm the only person who cares, you know? Yeah, I think that's the best way to frame it. All right, let's talk about your anti-Trump comedy festival. I know it's a year out, but I kind of want to look at this, frame this a year later, how we're looking at this. You co-founded and produced um, a show called What a Joke. You raised, what was it, over $50,000 for the ACLU. This took place in thirty different, 32 different cities during mm-hmm. the weekend of Trump's inauguration. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I know we're a year out from it, but looking back on that time period of What a Joke, um, one, was this a one-time deal? Will you ever do something like this again? And two, do you feel as anxious today, a year out and looking back at this year than you did when you put the show together? Um, well, for number one, I, uh, I, I created a festival with another comedian, Jen Welch, uh, who's in New York. Right. And, um, after producing the first one, it was, the uh, w- most one of the most wonderful and also the hardest thing that I've ever done. Yeah, so after doing one, uh, Jen was geared up to do another, and I just knew that I can produce. I couldn't do that again because it, it was basically like a full time job on top of my full time job on top of my comedy, and I um, I got sick for a week after that festival ended. Oh, my body yeah. Shut down. I used to throw concerts, oh. festivals for a living, and there's so many moving oh. parts, so many fucking personalities so many. that you just yes. want to beat your head off a wall because you can't please everybody. There's the, the complaints. If you had a suggestion box, it would be on fire. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, as much as, like, and there was so much momentum going into that festival. So, like, I, I don't feel like I could do another one, although Jen wants to do another one, um, like, around the 2018 elections. And I told her that I would be, like, a helping hand. Um, so hopefully we will see another What a Joke festival. I don't think that anything will have the kind of momentum that it did for Trump's inauguration. But I do think that people still want to be active and help. And I think it's a good idea and a great thing that she's going to continue with it. I just know that like, I can't physically handle it again. (laughs) I mean, Um, it's a lot, man. So I can empathize with you. How do you feel today 
as opposed to one year ago when he was inaugurated. I always make the joke, you know, I was a half hour into Man in the High Tower before I realized it was the Trump inauguration. I mean, it was so dark <laughs> and fucking dystopian. And there was this fear yeah. of like, man, life is going to change irrevocably. But then you see all these institutions step in. And even though it hasn't totally checked them, and even though every day is a dumpster fire, it hasn't yeah. gone quite to like this insane, like tyrannical place that I thought Trump was going to take it to. I agree. I was very scared. And um, obviously, like life goes on and we're still all doing what we have to do. And I feel like, you know, it feels a lot. I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say because, you know, some of the things he does, I'm like, oh, this is really going to affect people. And this is like, people can't come into the country that need to be here. And and people might get, you know, deported. And you know, it's just a very scary. Right. Um, but, and but we're not like, trying to marginalize the people who have been affected because, of course, no. people have been affected by this asshole. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard because it, it hasn't affected my life in a crazy, like, apocalyptic way. Um, but uh, I know that other people have been affected. But, I mean, I feel, I don't know. A year ago, I was gearing up for this festival and all of my energies that were put into the festival and you know I had been very depressed like everyone after the election but I channeled it into the festival so I was feeling something different I wasn't feeling as sad as a lot of people that didn't have a project you know what I mean well I I call it weaponized creativity I've been saying this a lot lately and I've also been saying yeah like the one thing right now we need more than ever is art art has never been more important than it is now to resist that's wonderful. And, you know, I was thinking about your, your first question uh, a few minutes ago, and I do think, like, one thing I want to do more with my stand-up is, um, is uh, find jokes that can appeal to people who are not like me, you know? And so I... I well, know, you I have a great show. temperament, so I think you can pull it off in a way that if Christopher Titus said it, you know, he said that he used to get 20 people at a time walk out of his comedy shows once Trump was elected. <laughs> I don't think you'd have that problem. Uh, I mean, I did recently do a show to a room full of 60-year-old-plus Trump supporters, oh, um, and it was not the best show of my life, but I'm like, you know, if we can relate, if we can find some common ground, I actually think that's better for everyone. Like, let's remind each other that we're all human at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, and that's a hard hurdle, right, Fern? It, it is, and, you know, the one thing that I will say is the difference between the fear that everybody had when Trump was elected and the fear from the right is so different because the fear when Trump was elected is validated. It's backed up with facts. It's backed up by his campaign. It's backed up by his speech. It's backed up by his actions. Whereas the fear on the other side tended to be conspiracy theories. Obama's going to throw you in the death camps. He's got an onion behind his podium. You know, all sorts of, he's got refugees hanging off his plane. Like it was so, such a ridiculous fear because they were just scared that they had never had a black man as president or somebody, you know, that they didn't agree with quite this much as president. It was such an irrational fear. But Trump being elected and inaugurated was a real fear. And the Women's March was born out of that. And a lot of protests were born out of that. And the, the What a Joke is such a great testament to that because it's, it's, it's very down to earth and it reaches people in a way that they can say, yeah, I get that. And it alleviates some of those fears. But it's still a very valid and real fear comparatively, you know. So I don't well, like it when Oprah people say. Oprah nailed it, though. Did you watch that thing I sent out? She did that Golden Globe speech, yeah. but she did a Q and A afterwards, and she was like, you know, looking back a year. I think I try to look at opportunity. I don't look at the negative, but opportunity and look how many movements that this Trump, as you call it, for a regime has ignited. So you know, Oprah always the light of um, reason and positivity, right, Emily? Yeah, yeah, big fan. Yeah, I bet. Okay, so let me ask you this then. I was um, reading an interview with you from the AV Club last year, and you said what you plan to do to resist is never allow this administration and all the insane and horrible shit Trump says and does to become the new normal. But it has become the new normal in a way, and and even to me, and I told this story um, earlier today, You know, when a politician, particularly a president, used to have some horrible gaffe or say something just fucking despicable on a hot mic and get caught, I would go, oh, man, it's disappointing how unpresidential. Trump tweets Mm -hmm. out Sloppy Steve. 
And I go, dude, you just said sloppy Michael Moore. Get some new material. This is just fucking bad television. <laughs> and I never thought of the presidency as a television show. And now I do. And that's the like unquantifiable damage, among other things, that this president is doing to that office. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's normal in that he doesn't stop making an ass of himself on a regular basis. Um, but I think like that I can't control that. But what I can control is um, my reaction to it and to, you know, when I do write political material, um, which is usually um, for, you know, a show or for a packet or for a tweet or something like to just like and just in my own brain, like remind myself that this is not behavior that is acceptable. This is not the way that you should talk about um African countries and and Haiti and women and this is not okay even though he's doing it every day so I think it's just an attitude and a, a thing that you have to remind yourself of you know I mean I don't I don't have the answers but it's normal for him but it's not normal for me and it's not okay do you think it's becoming more normal for more people as you see more Republicans who used to speak out um, against them, particularly our own Senator Bob Corker who used to be a very strong like um, very strong on speaking out against Trump's behavior, if not his policies. And now he's kind of like, well, it's just Trump. And everybody's just kind of shrugging their shoulders now. Even the people who don't like his behavior and still support him just kind of go, well, that's crazy grandpa. Ha ha ha. Yeah. I mean, especially if you want something from him, you're going to sort of have to fall in, in line for sure. I see that. But I mean, you know, the, the, the splash that um, Michael Wolf's book just made, I think shows yes. that like there are still enough people who are, horrified by his behavior but those are people who were horrified at the time that book was written uh, like they've probably it probably has become normalized to them after a year yeah i mean i think like you know you see you're gonna be conditioned to something of course like i think we're all like a little i'm not surprised when he does horrible things but i think just like acknowledge you know and also people that are in politics like republican politicians not that I agree with them, but I see strategically what they're doing. You know, they're going to, okay, he didn't get immediately impeached. I'm going to have to fall in line or not get what I want. So it, it, it makes sense, even though it's, you know, not good. I mean, what's horrible is he can't surprise me anymore. Like for about six yeah. months, he kept surprising me. And somebody, yeah. one of my friends had posted the other day, like he's even worse than I thought he was. And I'm like, I don't know how he, like he would have to pull his dick out and have it made up to look like Obama and do a vertuiloquist act with him and his penis for me to go, <laughs> wow, I'm actually surprised now. He took it to a new yeah. level. Bravo. Yeah. Like he can't surprise yeah. me anymore. The shit old com comments didn't surprise me. Yeah, it's sad. It's very sad because that's a horrible thing to say. But yeah, you're totally right. I agree. Yeah, we're talking Nick, about the president here. The president. This is who we're talking about. It's the fucking president of the United States here. Let that I actually hate in. you. I hate you right now for giving me that visual, by the way. That was a horrible <laughs> visual that I never, ever, ever want to even think about knowing that I heard again or saw. That's bad. But, you know, the thing about the book is, is this book that came out, it, it mirrors exactly what his ghostwriter said about the art of the deal. Now, you can either say that this new book is plagiarized or that this is a pattern of behavior. And considering the different sources from different people all over the spectrum, not just from this book and not just from this ghostwriter, from people who have dealt with him in the past, this seems to be a pattern of behavior, yet people are completely oblivious and want to put their head in the ground and say, nope, fake news doesn't exist, fake, fake book, nope, it's gone. It, it, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't, I, I cannot be in the mind of a person who just shrugs everything they don't want to hear with fake news. Like how you just, you are in a crazy denial and you're, it's, it's like, what is your life that you have to be in denial? That like must be very taxing. Yeah, pretty much. And, and it's like, just when you think things aren't going to get crazier, then you turn on the news and it's like, wait, what? I, I don't yeah. understand. Trump said what now? He did, he did what? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I can't even. I like, actually, I'm, I'm out in San Francisco right now and I live in New York and I have a family member um, who were pretty, is pretty close to my family and I, he's a huge Trump supporter and I, I'm just not going to make the time to see him because I can't listen to him 
say that everything is fake news. I just right? can't. It, it it will yeah it will be a negative experience and it's such a bummer you know in a way it, like tears people apart and I you know uh, it is I, I mean know. and it's, like this morning yeah. we had on um AM Joy who you know I, I love hearing her on Sundays anyway and this woman comes on and and she's like oh you know well you know tr- the fact that Trump said this was the biggest fake news this week and she went she's like well what people should really be focusing on is something about what Clinton did or whatever and she's like no 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 let me stop you there we're not going to do this like I-, I just feel like that's what we have to do right it's like no 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 we're not going to do this you're out of your mind yeah. and i'd like to talk to the same person in your head now because <laughs> this is right. just like, that's like such a common tactic as they just say, okay, we're not going to, I'm not going to talk about Trump. What about, what about John Oliver's yes. a really cool segment on, I think he was like, what about, what about this? You know? And oh, yeah. Um, it's just a, it's, sure. The Clintons could be bad, but do bad things, but that's not the subject that we're talking about right now. And they won't answer to the questions that we're throwing yep. at them. You know? What about ism is a like, long lasting tactic of all the little fascists out there that this isn't anything new okay i want to kind of pivot away from politics um d's always giving me the virtual stink eye when we do do too much (laughs) politics on kettle of fish i will say though this past episode we just did a funny thing about politics with kayla avery we did talk about what happened to you and posting an all-female show on facebook because of course she's got having a battle right now with facebook and i told Mm -hmm. her i said look when i um booked emily Right after I'm talked to you, I had no idea that Facebook was doing this to her. And mm-hmm. after listening to the podcast, I found it out and I was like, man, dude, like the way that women are treated by the Facebook machine, like this isn't mm-hmm. just a, an outlier. The fact that I booked two people in a row and they both had similar stories unbeknownst to me when I booked it just mm-hmm. kind of shows like how prevalent this is in Facebook culture. I have several friends who've been banned for um you know, 48 hours, three days a week from Facebook for just saying, um, for, for saying the most benign things, but they and these are female point, friends, all, all women. Um, and you know, you think that's not a big deal, but as a comedian, you need Facebook as a tool for booking. So when you're banned, it's, you know, unfortunately a necessary evil for us and, um, it hurts their careers. So, Facebook banning a lot of my friends, Facebook, and what Facebook did to me was um, I threw an all-women show, and I usually throw about $20 of promotional money for my monthly variety show, and they wouldn't run my ad because it was an all-women show. Holy um, shit. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and then I appealed that decision, and then they upheld it and said that my show was exclusionary, and uh, I don't know. I mean, all-male shows are you know people put money Everywhere. into that on facebook all the time and they happen yeah. to have all male lineups and nobody cares and this is an all-female lineup and i was like yeah it's an all-woman show like i want to celebrate women comedians and that was not okay so i mean i don't i hate facebook and i hate i don't as trust many of us do at all yeah. yeah oh my gosh his stuff after after the russia thing came out and he was like he did that video do you guys remember that like video press release where he was like well basically we're going to take this really seriously but i'm not yep. going to change the way we approve ads he basically yep. copped to saying he wasn't going to change shit in like a really fancy way and that infuriated me and so this comes as no surprise that they are hurting women and I, I wish that we had a way around Facebook because I would like to boycott it, but unfortunately I need it for my career and rely on it so heavily. Well, I'm on a site now called the mighty creators and there's no trolls there. The people who run it are actually very active in talking with people. Even if I post something random, the person who owns the site will be like, Oh, this is great. I'll spread the word. And I'm hoping sites like mighty creators take off. I know it's not known now, but maybe in five years it'll be the next Facebook. Oh, cool. Because it's just for artists and creators. All right. um, I want to, we don't go too far into politics on this. I won't talk a whole lot more on this issue, but I did think it was important, at least on this show, to mention it so people know what's going on. So let's kind of pivot to some comedy. I checked out every video that you have done because I'm a diligent, (laughs) humble servant of the people. And I have to say, 
the one that I enjoyed the most was Dudes on OK Cupid. And here's what happened. I turn it on. I see the disclaimer that say, hey, these lyrics are all actual pro, you know, words from profiles of dudes on OK Cupid. And my mm-hmm. first fucking thought was, please don't let anything I said stupid on my old profile be in this song. Please don't <laughs> let anything I said stupid. You know what I'm saying? Has anybody ever reached out to you and was like, hey, I'm the guy you sung about who thinks I like women who look like bags of money or I'm the sexual Tyrannosaurus you sung about? Has anybody ever reached Uh, out to you about that? The closest I got is that my sister's friend went on a date with one of the guys. And I I mean, he was um, he was his lyric was uh, something about. I, I have a tendency to pass out once every two days out of the blue. Yeah, I so remember this that one. guy with a medical condition, he's not oh. an asshole, you know? Um, and I think, I don't know what his reaction, no, she went on the date with him before the video came out, so I have no idea what his reaction was to it. Um, but no, I never got any uh, of the guys, no one came forward. <laughs> but here's what's so crazy, though. About social media world and the internet and just having so much access to everything, you know, it sounded like there was quotes off there from about 40 different guys. So you got 40 different guys mm-hmm. walking around not knowing that they are quoted in your OK Cupid's, you know, skit song. And that's mm-hmm. crazy to me. It makes me think like, dude, I wonder like, like I just recently had, I'm an asshole, so I Google myself about once a month. And somebody <laughs> had just released a book about this really well-known prostitute, her name escapes me, in D.C. during the Nixon administration. And she ran um, prostitutes for the Nixon administration, people in it. And when I Googled it, my, you know, Nick Cat source came up. And I was like, well, this is impossible. This is from before I was born. And come uh-huh. to find out, my fucking dad is in that book because he oh used my to God. be in, like, this Greek gambling syndicate in D.C. before he met my mother. And wow. he was in the book. And, of course, when I asked him, I was like, hey, do you know George Pappas? Oh, yeah, I know George. Do you know? And then I said the name, like, all these people that were listed in the book with my dad. And then I was like, do you know it was Heidi something, Heidi so-and-so? And he got real quiet. And I was like, yeah, you're in a book about being, like, part of this gambling <laughs> syndicate in the 60s. And then oh my, my mom, God. I told my mom, and she knew, like, all these, well, that was weird, my dad. Like, she was telling me how my dad's door was kicked in by the police, and he said, well, they got the wrong McCatsaurus. Like, that's a common name. And all this stuff. She's like, I was a 19-year-old girl. I didn't know any better, but now it all makes sense. Like, it's crazy what the internet has done to our lives. Wow. Was your dad okay with it? Oh, no. Like, I told him, and he said he wouldn't talk about it. And I, I, I quoted it. Like, if I had called him and said... Hey, were, did you ever like? Were you ever involved in a gambling syndicate? Because you were in this book, he would of course say no. So I purposely yeah. was like, "Hey, do you know George Pappas? Do you know like Rich Kaczynski or whatever the guy's name was? Do you know so and so?" So he wouldn't be able because he's like, "Oh yeah, I know George. I remember George." So he wouldn't be oh. able to deny it because he likes to deny things a lot about his past. <laughs> so I kind of fucking trapped him. But that was crazy, right? I went to go look myself up, and I found my dad was in this book. By, yeah. Out of uh, DC, a high dollar DC prostitute. Oh my God, that's wild. Yeah, it's a that's a it's an interesting thing to bring up. I never even considered the men. I never con- and then I did that video years ago, and I never considered um, their reaction. And I because the whole thing was born out of um, my best friend was in a very depressed place. Cause she was having no luck on okay Cupid and the guys really sucked and were mean and like, Imagine shitty that. and yeah, they were just being shitty and like, they just like, were not good. They just like had horrible profiles, like the kind that were in there. So I suggested to her, why don't you like turn the negative into a positive and tweet the worst of the worst and the weirdest of the weirdest in a Twitter account. And that's how it started. So she was on okay Cupid constantly um, cause this is before Tinder, um, anyway, cause she was really looking for a boyfriend. So she would find these lines. And then, um, so then when I went to write the song, um, I just took the lines from her Twitter account. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I thought of her so many times because these guys were really dragging her down and I never thought about, you know, do these guys know that they're in the song and does it upset them? I don't care if it upsets them, but, <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. But it's just about like resource and information, right? Like the, one of these, one of these children of these dudes could listen to this song like twenty years ago, like with me and my dad, 
and go, hey, dad, did you know this person wrote a song about, because maybe it's something he says often as a joke now, like I'm a sexual Tyrannosaurus, and be like, hey, dad, is this you and this Emily Winter song? Like 20 years from now. So it's crazy the memory that like, like the internet has. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. I do think that all of the um, the lyrics are um, they're specific, but they're not so specific that you could really pick it. You know, pick someone out. So I I feel like I don't. I'm not nervous that anyone might get shamed or something because they're broad enough that they could be any guy in any city. You know. Right. It's a hilarious song. I'm not going in that direction. I'm just saying it's weird how when you think about it outside of your own little frame that we all live in. When a guy right. runs across this song that actually said, because how many people are going to say, I like women who look like a big bag of money? He's going to be like, holy <laughs> shit, some comedian five years ago sung a song about my OK Cupid profile. Yeah, That's an insane yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. world we live in. I'm, I'm yeah, getting too much really into like is. an acid trip here. I apologize. <laughs> Well, um, oh, that's it, yeah, go ahead, D. I'm sorry. I was gonna say it was kind of funny that I and I don't can't believe I didn't realize this before, but you know, Nick and I actually met on OK Cupid. Um, like, oh, great! What, I was one of the non assholes that wasn't a sexual tyrannosaurus. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking, man, I really must have like I got really lucky because I met Nick pretty early on, uh, from mm-hmm. after, just after I signed up. And I was like, dude, I could have met somebody who said he wanted me to look like a bag of money or he was a sexual <laughs> tyrannist or, 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 you know, all of these things. Uh, Damn, I got really I lucky. Met... He just had his opening yeah, line was beans and cornbread. And it was just so funny <laughs> that I couldn't not open the message. I was like, what? Beans and cornbread? What? <laughs> I mean, you oh, know. Oh, my God. <laughs> You guys are crazy. Yeah, like, D and Nick found love. Nick found his dad in a book online. Like, I'm just like, hey, I found two green Skittles in the bag fused together. I think that's pretty lucky. That like, I'm just lucky. like, I really don't have a weird story like that. I'm, I'm like, wow. I'm, I'm My lame. life is just I, a <laughs> string of, like, Kramer-esque weird stories. It is. You know, if you did that song today, Emily, you'd have to do it about, like, 4chan on Reddit. And it would be a total shit show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stuff that guys say there. I know. I know. I actually really um, uh, want to make jewelry out of stuff that trolls have said to me on the internet, like comments that oh, they've left. Oh, that's and I, I really, yeah, Etsy, I, just, man. Um, I, I gotta Etsy. get my mom's help or something. I'm not, I'm not crafty enough, but I really want to do some physical thing that's beautiful out of uh, horrible things that men have written to me. Yeah, and then yes. you can turn Etsy into like a hate platform like Facebook is, where right. guys will be yeah, flipping yeah. out. It always freaks me out when I see somebody say racist shit on LinkedIn. And I'm like, dude, oh. like, this is like putting like under special skills on your paper resume 20 years ago. Like, oh, well, I attend clan meetings or I fucking like shut down lip <laughs> cards. Like, who would put horrible racist shit about Obama this was back when he was president on her LinkedIn it, it seems oh like the dumbest God. thing a human being could do in life why I, I didn't even know that this was a thing and it's just yeah. like this is horrible hate speech but also wrong platform bro like that's so embarrassing you know I'm blown away by the stupidity of people online right, I think I think all women who get dick pics should just save them and wallpaper a room and then post one big picture of all the dick oh pics and just throw yeah. it right on out there. Just We've throw it suddenly out there. gone to a very dark place for <laughs> It's all about trolls, man. You get those pictures and it's like, what is this supposed to do for me? Like, yeah. I, a picture is supposed to do something, number one. Number two, uh, who the fuck do you think you are? Number three, if you're going to send it to me, I'm going to put it out there. So let it be known. If you send a picture Dude. of your penis, everybody's not. Everybody's going to see it. It's not just going to be kept private. It's I've getting totally out there. I totally got it. We'll come out with a Where's Waldo's penis book. <gasps> yes. <laughs> all so the funny. dick pics. Where's Waldo's well, I don't know if it's penis. insecurity, but I've never taken a dick pic in my life. You're smart. <laughs> it's, it's sad, but we need to celebrate him. <laughs> Well, and and, you know, this is how sad our culture is. I said this during the Me Too movement. I had put something up, and I was like, you know what? You guys want to talk about how tough you are? Then be a fucking man. Come out and just say, I apologize for how shitty men have treated women over the years. We're all culpable, and let's do better. 
And people are like, oh, my God, you're such an ally. Sending me personal messages. Oh, you're so great. I can't believe you stood up like that. And I was like, dude, I'm not Alan Alda. Like, this is literally the least thing I could do is put a three-sentence Facebook post up. And it meant so much to women that it just drove home how, like, shitty women are treated by guys in general if that was a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, that is wonderful. And I'm glad that you did that. But also, you know, like, it's yeah, a three-sentence Facebook post is not commiserate with uh, praise from many people. And, you know, it's, it's just wild. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to your podcast because we've only got a few minutes left. Um, I went and listened to How to Produce Live Comedy. And the first thing that struck me was, as you said, you do write for um, several different things. Uh, You write for TV Land. You've got, oh, you're involved in, you know, Side Ponytail, Back Fat. You have your web series, which we'll talk about in a second, Ask a Midwesterner. And my first thing was like, how the fuck does she even find time to do this? And two, why take on, you just talked about what a joke and how overwhelming it was to juggle so many things. Why take on this podcast? You've got tons going on. Yeah, I'm really stressed out right now. I bet. (laughs) Um, But the podcast is a limited series and I'm not pushing myself to release the next episode uh, like today or you know I'm not they don't have to be like week by week as um yeah uh so it's just something that I really wanted to do like I I love comedy but like I have this sort of organizational practical side of me that um a lot of comedians don't have and it it it, this is the podcast that was in my heart and it is a very just dry passion project yeah it's a passion project totally and I just um I was thinking that it's not a good time for me to put out a podcast. I'm, I'm like too busy right now. And you know, I'm whatever I'm stressed out, but I also was thinking like a lot of people are starting shows in the new year and really want to get back on their comedy horse and, and do all the things. And so I was like, you know, I really should release this in the beginning of January so that people that have made it their new year's resolution have something to turn to. And um, so that's why I decided to do it now. Um, but I am like rushing around to like get it ready. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of on the back burner. I'll probably put out another episode like maybe next week or something. Um, yeah, but I yeah I actually quit my job last year um, to focus on all of these things because it was all too much. And I you know uh, well you're living the so dream yeah. then if you don't have to work a daytime job and you can support yourself. Oh you're no, I am not. Yeah, I um I I used my savings and then in October I did the very scary thing of cashing out my 401k um oh, which wow. I still You bet on yourself, which is awesome. Yeah, I bet I'm, it's exactly yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I was doing full-time writing jobs for 10 years and um I just decided that it was time to do this. It's now or never, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s um but and I don't have children and I just feel like if I don't do these things now, they'll never get done. Um, so yeah, so I am on my, uh, my, I don't know, my personal journey or whatever. I'm living my truth. <laughs> it's your comedy crusade, right, Fern? Absolutely. And you know, here's the cool thing about the podcast. Like it definitely gives you insight into that world, but it, it, I'm telling everybody out there, go and listen to it. It's not just for comedy. There's so much business insight in that that can be applied into other areas. Like it's crazy. Do what you love, do what you're good at, market, email, pound the pavement, like whatever you're good at. If it's marketing yourself, then market yourself. Like it's so there's so much to be gleaned out of that just in a business aspect. I totally respect that, but it also gives such a good insight into the background. So I thoroughly enjoyed it just to let you know, I know it's, I know you like a stress ball. I I totally get that. We're all stress balls, but it it totally hit home with me on a lot of different levels. So it was, it was very cool. Oh, thank you. That means so much to me. That's really nice to hear. Um, do you feel like you've handicapped yourself by saying, because I remember you did say it was only going to be six episodes, and are you open that if it's a resounding success, you will keep doing it, or is it just too much on your plate? Um, uh, sure, I would, I mean, if somebody's going to, like, if we got, like, an advertiser or something, and there was, I, th- I think it would be, a, it would either be, like, somebody's offering me money, or I feel like I have a lot more to say, or, like, someone, like, there's a topic that I didn't touch on, um, But, you know, producing live comedy, there's only, in my mind, so much material on it. You know, I wouldn't, um, if it were a book, it would be a short book and not like a, like a series, you know? So, um, yeah. 
so I'll, I'll get everything that I want to get out. And if it's, that turns out to be seven episodes or eight episodes, that would be fine with me. You know, I, I, I plan on six and I sort of mapped it out, but you never know, you know, I might interview somebody and learn something that I hadn't expected and let that take me where it takes me. I think. Right like, on. Yeah. You can have a plan, I think, but it's also like, just gotta like let the plan change if it has to. I think that's just like the only way you can do life. <laughs> Well, as somebody who lives right outside of Knoxville, I can't remember if you said this in one of the articles I read or on the podcast, you were surprised when doing booking for What a Joke, and you were one of the cities you said were really progressive was Knoxville. And I was surprised when I moved here from Virginia Beach, which is where Fern still lives, um, how progressive mm-hmm. Knoxville is, how progressive UT, who has students coming in from everywhere. I mean, it, Knoxville is actually a really progressive city compared to Meth Mountain I live on about 40 miles away. Oh, well, I still haven't been to Knoxville and I'm dying to go. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, they have a great comedy scene. Right. Yes. Um, our, our producer there, Shane, uh, Shane Ryan, I think, uh, yeah, he was just wonderful to work with. And, um, I think there's a festival that happens there. I'm not sure if it happened in 2017, but, um, I, I really need to go check it out. It seems like a really cool place. Absolutely. All right, let's finish up with this because we've got to get out of here. I love, love, love your web series, Ask a Midwesterner. Um, I think some of the responses to the questions on there, one, I like how you always preference it with New York and a different snazzy saying about New York. And two, some of the responses are just so off the wall. Um, When you're doing something like this, are you doing it like a lot of people do web series in mind of hey, I would love to have this get picked up by a digital platform like Netflix or Hulu or even parlay this into a TV show? Or is this just something you do for fun for kind of your own shits and giggles? This is also totally a passion project. Like if I had the opportunity to pitch Netflix anything, I have like scripts that are ready. I have so much that um, I feel like is like written for a broad audience. Um, And this is absolutely not like I... This is Ask a Midwesterner. It's just like a short video series where I, I, I have a character called Ask a Midwesterner and, and it's her weird life. And I just like really, um, I make myself laugh with the com- like the Midwestern comedy and I love the Midwest and I'm from the Midwest and I miss it a lot. Um, so it's sort of like a fun way of, um, I don't know, just like letting myself indulge in that world that I miss so much. And also, um, I shot most of the videos while I was on tour in the Midwest over the summer, and I still have videos that I haven't sat down to edit because I haven't had time. But um, yeah, so it was just like a thing to do during, like a productive thing to do during the daytime while my boyfriend and I were driving around the Midwest waiting for our shows to happen at night. You know, I always hear Bill Maher say... Like people bag on the South and say like how unenlightened they are. But when he goes to the big cities, when he goes to a Knoxville or a Birmingham or a Chattanooga, that it's not like there's a lot of progressive people in the cities. Do you find mm-hmm. that comedy is the same and your the reaction to your stand-up is the same as you travel through the South and then over to the left coast, as they call it, and then back up to the Midwest of Chicago? Or an audience, is an audience an audience an audience? Or do you have to kind of tailor your comedy to where you are geographically? Oh, it's absolutely, you have to tailor. And um, yeah, audiences are different everywhere. But even in New York City, there are, clubs that you know cater to more broad audiences like maybe not like you know that when you walk in it's not going to be your smart people in New York like they're gonna it's gonna be like sort of tourists that maybe don't even speak English that well and um so like it's it's totally different everywhere um and I think finding ways to connect with people in different locations is is part of the skill and part of the job of being a a stand-up comedian um but I do tend to you know love smart liberal rooms I mean I love doing comedy in Brooklyn I'm in San Francisco right now I'm having a blast like um it's you know it's easier for me to be around people that are like me but it's um not always that way and I think it's like how do you know how can you be yourself but also relate to people that are so different from you and it's just part of the challenge um yeah 
Right on. All right. I think this is the perfect place to stop. I feel like I kind of feel guilty. I'm pulling you away from all the laughter behind you. I'm so Uh, sorry. That sounds amazing. That's awesome. I want to be there, too. Yeah, I was going to say, no, if anything, I feel bad because it's much more interesting in the background of what's going on in this house right now, which is cricket. So (laughs) I don't want to pull you away anymore, but I do want you on your way out the door to please tell everybody where they can find you on the interwebs. Oh, great. Yes. Uh, my website is emilywintercomedy.com, and I am on Twitter and Instagram at emilymcwinter, um, and that is confusing, but my middle name is McKenna, so that's where emilymcwinter comes gotcha. from, and it's a big problem. I shouldn't have done that, but now I'm stuck with it. So We all make choices in life. All right. I yeah. want to thank you so much for calling in, and we are going to actually end the show with my favorite song by you, the o- um, Dudes on OK Cupid. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You too. All right. All right, guys. We'll be back in a few weeks. Have a good weekend.